And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Twikes weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. He's got pizza. I do not, but we've both got to talk about the Red Wings game last night. They lose 4-1 to one to the Florida Panthers, and they really were not in this one uh, from puck drop. Yeah, I mean, really, I needed the pizza in order to be able to talk about this game because that's how kind of much how, that's how big of a letdown it really was compared to the this Columbus series. Yeah, I mean, that you come off of maybe the Red Wings' best like contained series of the season. It might not even be a maybe; it's probably inarguably their best two game series against the same opponent uh, of the season. They've had a couple, like you mentioned last last show, front end back end uh, combos that were pretty good. Uh, but really a, a dominant performance against the Blue Jackets. And you come in against Florida, and I think it was 3.08 minutes into the game. And and really, uh, as Jeff Blaschel made the point afterwards, it's not like they didn't create any chances throughout the game, but the defense really took uh, a step back. It, he thought, and I think it's it's fair to, to say that that's true, uh, in the Tuesday night game. Now, Florida's a good team. like They're much better than I think most people expect them to be this year. But after seeing the way the Red Wings played against Columbus, this was, in almost any way you slice it, a a pretty clear step back. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you were right back into that second Nashville game where all of a sudden it was 1-0, 2 3-0. Now, obviously not as quick as the Nashville game, although it was pretty close and the Wings ultimately were able to stop the bleeding. But yeah, I mean, it was just within the first 10 minutes being out of a hockey game, you know, it's kind of fun for those of you that have an evolving hockey subscription on on their live games page. You can actually see uh, the team's win probability by minute, and I think by minute—I uh, want to say it was by minute eight of that first period—the Florida Panthers were at a ninety-one percent win probability, and and then shortly thereafter they score goal number three, and and they're at basically a hundred percent with the Wings never really making a dent in that the rest of the way, aside from the, the Philip Zadina goal, which we'll talk about in a second. So this was just really a hockey game where they were they were never in it. Huge step back, and, and it's kind of disappointing. And and to be honest, uh, I think you and I talked about this maybe a little bit. It's not necessarily unexpected that at some point some of those goals were going to go in yeah. uh, against Calvin Pickard. No, I mean, and he gets his third straight start, which again was, I thought, really kind of surprising. It, it ends early and Grice plays. And, and in the end, maybe this is kind of a good thing for Thomas Grice that he gets to come into a game that's basically already been decided. He gives up one on 20 some shots uh, the rest of the way. And maybe that starts to build back a little confidence for a guy who had had, had a lot going against him in, in his previous few starts. So I wonder if that's one of the kind of the upsides of this game is that you get to work Grice back into a low leverage situation, let him reestablish some confidence. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think it does two things. I think number one, it it brings everybody back down to earth about what Calvin Pickard is. I think you had a lot of people getting really excited about two back-to-back games. I think you and I touched on it that there were arguably two of Detroit's best defensive performances on the season. He really wasn't tested uh all that much in either of those columbus games and so now coming against a a top five team in the nhl and the florida panthers uh, i think very quickly you you saw what happens when the wings can't influence or can't exert as much control over the style of play and then second for grice to be able to come back in although we have said this a number of times this year where he's come in uh in a game in relief and said okay if he can string together a few good saves here maybe this is the confidence boost moving forward thus far it hasn't happened but maybe 
Maybe this time's the, the, the seventh time's the charm. Who knows? We will see. Um, but at, at least at the end of the day, I think it stops the skid of, of Calvin Pickard starts. And, and maybe Grice can find his way to, to get a start and maybe get a victory here. They do now get a day off, which is something that I thought, you know, they, they practice, so they play Thursday. They pra- they have their hardest practice of the season, apparently Friday, play Saturday, Sunday, practice again Monday after the back-to-back and, you know, that practice and game schedule. This is their first day off in a while. Um, I wonder if that does a little bit for helping them get their legs back under them. I mean, this is such a, this, it's one of the many ways that this season I think will um, be looked back on as really challenging for guys is just the the trying to balance finding any rest and finding any practice time it, it is a real real um, difficulty I think for for these teams right now yeah I mean that's the biggest challenge from a coaching standpoint I think is balancing not overworking your players um, you know especially as some teams more than the Red Wings the Red Wings haven't actually had any games really rescheduled but you know the teams that have had their seasons compressed like Dallas um, I mean, you're almost having to decide, do I practice or do I let these guys have a day off just to have a day off? Because otherwise they're playing hockey every single night. Same really goes for the wings trying to condense, you know, a 56 game uh, season into 115 days. Uh, I mean, you're basically saying every other day you're going to be playing hockey. Uh, and so that's just a huge challenge, uh, I think, for Blashill. And, you know, I think in the wings case, they're somewhat fortunate that they have a lot of young guys. Um, that really lead the top of the lineup. Perhaps muscle recovery is a little bit easier and, and, and things along those lines. But at the end of the day, a day off can do wonders beyond just physical, uh, the, beyond the physical side of things, can do wonders for you mentally as well. Although maybe even not so much in uh, in 2021 where you know, you're on the road right now and a day off just means more time alone. That's true. Day off of the inside four walls of your hotel room basically by the NHL uh Rules, so yeah, we could potentially make things even worse in that capacity. So a lot of lot of tough stuff that they're going through right now, and I, I certainly have a lot of empathy for it. Um, one more thing on this game that I want to talk about is Philip Zanina's goal. You alluded to it earlier. I thought it was really nice. I think maybe one of his two or three, I mean, he's only had four, but one of the two best goals he scored this season for my money. Yeah, I mean, it was a heck of a shot. You know, being able to get that shot up and over, you know, the the, the Florida goaltender there it was a nice setup. Uh, you know, from from Dylan Lurkin, I believe, is the one who threw yep. it into the front of the net um, from behind the goal line. You know, it's a nice kind of play. And and again, if you're looking for one saving grace uh, from this game, we talked about how good the Larkin-Zadina-Fabry line was against Columbus. They stay hot, in a sense, by at least scoring a goal here um, to make you at least feel better about their, their particular trajectory moving forward. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're just hoping that Philip Zadina can find a way to continue to string together some points because, um, you know, he's a guy the Wings are really counting on and really paying attention to when it comes to kind of addressing what does their trade deadline look like, what does off, what does the off season look like, and what does you know their rebuild look like from that standpoint. I think he's certainly a key cog in and how well he continues to play. Well, it's kind of interesting. So he's he's played now a couple more games than he actually ended up playing in all of last season. And if you run through kind of the statistical profile, there's a couple things that jump out. Production, pretty much the same. Slightly less. Last season, he had 15 points in 28 games. This season, he has 14 and 30. Um, But he's getting more on the assist side, less on the goal side. Now, if you just look at the shots and shot percentage column, it it tells you the whole story. He's got almost identical number of shots uh, on goal this year that he had last year and almost identical number of total shot attempts. The shooting percentage, it's about half. Uh, that explains why he has exactly half the goals, right? <laughs> so that tells you something. Uh, then you scroll over to the assists. The on-ice shooting percentage is up with him on the ice from what it was last year. So that tells you uh, probably why the assists are up. Like it, it's it's kind of just a story of percentages for Philip Zadina right now. Um, I actually do think he's been a better player than last year because of the ways that he's rounded out the game. And so I think you'll take that in terms of a um, similar level of production while you know, maybe a, a more complete game. Um, you know, I don't know what the what his expected goals for percentage was a year ago. I don't have that up in front of me right now. Um, on a rudimentary level, uh, he went from a minus 13 to a minus three. But I, my guess is the possession stats, he hasn't gotten much better because it, off the top of my head, I think his possession stats have been pretty rough most of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's basically in line with where he was last year. Last year, he was at 43.9%, five and five expected goals, four percentage. This year, 41.8%. Yeah. You know, still, still reasonably rough. Um, 
you know, in that regard, I think the big reason is plus minus looks better is he's gotten better goaltending behind him. He's got a you yeah. know, five on five uh, save percentage uh, when he's on the ice of 93.4%. Uh, so that's, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, maybe he's getting a little bit luckier than he probably should have because 93.4 of five on five is a pretty hefty save percentage. Usually you expect those guys to be around 92.5. So, uh, potentially 1% more goals uh, or shots being saved than you would uh, generally expect in that regard. But I do agree with you. I do think, at least when you watch him, you just set aside all the numbers, which this is a blasphemous thing for me to say, <laughs> and you just watch him on the ice. He does look like he's reading the play better. He's making better decisions. Confident. You can Right. You see the confidence there where he's willing to try some things that maybe he wouldn't have tried you know, the year prior or even the year before that in 1819 when he came up for that nine game stint. So, you know, I think there's certainly pieces there um, that are encouraging for him and that should be encouraging for Wings fans moving forward. And you still have to remember this guy is 21 years old uh, and and recently 21 years old. Yep. So he's a guy that I think still has a lot to really showcase and you know, if he continues to get opportunities playing up next to Dylan Larkin and playing on those lines, I think it's indicating to you, number one, that Blaschel trusts his defensive game to be able to play with Larkin as Larkin plays a lot of hefty minutes, oftentimes against the other team's best lines. Uh, and, and then number two, I think that's got to be a confidence builder for Zadina offensively uh, to be able to play with guys who can think the game at the same level as him. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that jump out to me as I start to look ahead to, you know, where where can Zadina take the next steps going forward? I think two jump out. Number one, continuing to build up a little bit more explosiveness in the lower body, which I think, you know, at 21 is still very possible. You add a little bit more lower body strength. You get a little more power behind those strides. He separates a little bit better. And, and his hands are are still, you know, very good. And he's going to be able to continue making those, those really good plays uh, with a little more explosiveness behind them. That really helps on entries and, and turning them into beyond just gaining the zone, but but setting it right up into something um, dangerous. And number two, it's the one timer. I mean, we know this guy has a good shot, but I think his wrister um, is right now on a higher level than the one timer is. And you you see on the power play right now, he gets one timer looks, and and it's not a really high conversion rate just yet. I think that's an area that the more he works on, and 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 you know he he has shown that he's going to put the work in. Um, you know, the better that's going to be, that's an area where I think you'll see those goals numbers rise. Just the more time that he has to really hone in on that one timer, he's got a good shot. So it's just translating it into that one timer element that can be such a difference maker at the NHL level. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think when you see the, see the power play setup, it, it's clear that the team has confidence in him to hit that yes. shot. And, and we saw, I mean, his first NHL goal against Colorado in eighteen nineteen was a beautiful one timer that he blasted past the goaltender. So, he he has all of the piece to be able to do that. I don't know that he's really ever, he's not in the tier of the Ovechkin, the line A and that, and that kind of tier, but he is a guy that's an absolute weapon on the power play there. But yeah, I think the thing for me that separates his shot is at times I think his release can be deceptive. And I think he can do a really nice job of, uh, you know, changing the angle on the shot, something that we see Austin Matthews do a lot when he shoots the puck. And then he does a really nice job of getting elevation on there. I mean, for those of you who have listened to Mickey Redmond rant for the last 20 years about shooters not getting the puck up in the air, Philip Zanina has no problem with that. He, if you look at most of his goals over the course of his career, they tend to come, you know, top shelf where, you know, over glove side or over the blocker side. Uh, not oftentimes is he beating the guy along the ice or even above the blocker or even above the pads, which uh, is kind of a nice aspect to his shot. So I think he does a nice job with it. I think the percentages will will come along. I think right now you can say he's gotten maybe a little bit unlucky relative to the quality of chances he's generated this season. You know, you would have expected him to score at least a couple more goals than he has. Um, so I, I do think he'll see a little bit of luck turn his way, and maybe that Florida goal uh, is, is a sign of things to come. Yeah, it may be. And, and you know, I, I think uh, the more he's playing with Larkin, they just seem to have a, a certain level of chemistry that, you know— Okay, yes, you know, winger plays with team's best center, he gets better. X X plus Y equals Z. I get it. But Story there's a real 11. chemistry there. And I think you've seen Larkin's playmaking continue to to look really good along with, with to both Fabry and Zadina. I really like that line. I mean, it, at some point you'd think we'll see Tyler Bertuzzi again this season. And there's five weeks left. I mean, that's there's a little bit of a ticking clock here. He's not gonna be able to to 
uh, jump right back in the lineup the second he's back practicing with the team. But um, I, I don't think it'd be crazy to, to try to leave this this trio together and play Bertuzzi, Mantha, Nemesnikov. Yeah, that, I mean, that might actually give you two legitimate scoring lines uh, that can play, uh, you know, against really other teams' defense, top defenses and still be able to hold their own. You know, I think that's the million-dollar question is, do we see Tyler Bertuzzi again? I mean, it's been... Uh, since the end of January, since we've seen him last, and with only five weeks left in the season, and really no uh, end in sight, at least from from the team right now, everything's left open ended from a day to day to week to week kind of phrase. I don't know that we see him, but if we do, you know, I don't know that you automatically jump back to going Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, and I think maybe you consider letting this Fabry, Larkin, Zadina trio go and let. Nemesnikov, who clearly can play with skill and has in the past, uh, let him continue to play with Mantha and and now insert Tyler Bertuzzi there. Yep. No, I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things that you can give a look to down the stretch. And um, I'm curious to see what else they give a look at. I mean, one of the questions that we got, um, I'll just start teasing into the mailbag already because I think we're heading there pretty soon one way or the other, uh, is from Phil Roberto, who, who wanted to know, if the Red Wings are unable to move some of their UFAs at the deadline, will management begin to rotate them so that the team can get kind of a proper read, as he called it, on some of the younger players, Sveshnikov, Bromay, Smith, uh, Chalowski, Lindstrom, Hirose, etc. Um, where where are you at on that? Do you think that in the event the Red Wings can't move a Sam Gagne, a Mark Stahl, etc., etc., um, that, that you start to see? And, and this would be the coaching staff, not management, um, just to start that answer, but... Uh, you know, certainly management and the coaching staff have conversations about this stuff. Do you think that's something that you would see if the Red Wings don't trade some of these guys to make that space? Do they just do it anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think the the interesting part is to a certain extent, this has already happened um, when yeah. you're talking about rotating out veterans, right? I mean, we saw seven minutes of Franz Nielsen last night. I don't know the last time I've seen Valtteri Filippola. I actually don't remember his last game played. I mean, he's effectively been rotated out and you've got Michael Rasmussen you know, playing center minutes, right? That's that's an example. Last night, uh, you had Sveshnikov and Giovanni Smith in the lineup, um, again, over Valtteri Filippo. So, you know, I think people can still nitpick and say, well, you still had Franz Nielsen playing seven minutes and you've got Matthias Berme down in Grand Rapids. You still have, uh, you know, Mark Stahl playing, you know, hefty minutes there. But to me, I, I guess there's only so far you can really go before you turn this entire team loose with with young guys and that's why i think you're seeing kind of week to week each of these guys are getting rotated in a couple at a time to make sure you have a good assessment of them moving forward uh you know i don't know that you're going to see sam gagne dealt at the deadline i don't think he's really a name that's had a lot of chatter you know mark Stahl, even though there has been a little bit again i still don't think he gets moved out but i think really to answer the question i think the the answer is it's already happened. When would you guess Philpola's last game? As I've got in front of me now, I think it's probably been at least six games since he's played. So give me a date. Doug, uh, if we're three thirty-one, go back two weeks. So three fifteen, or February twenty-eighth. I mean that's nuts, right? We're talking about more than a month that yeah. since Valtteri Philpola, who was signed to a two-year deal to be the second-line center, he hasn't played in a month, and it's not injury. So. It's fascinating to see. I mean, you've already you've already made that kind of switch in my mind. Yeah, I mean, so the thing here is it, it, you're going to depend on which players you're talking Like, I, I think what Phil's getting at is it, pending UFA, probably not around for the long-term future, young players, you would like them to be. Number one, I do think you'll start to see guys rotate in. Um, but to your point, you already have. Like, Michael Rasmussen did not make this team out of camp. And he looks like a regular at this point. I mean, there's no one that's coming back that's forcing, taking away the third line center job from him, for example. Um, and you might see Luke Lindenning go, and 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 I'm curious to see what would happen at that point. Um, Bobby Ryan, I guess, would be kind of maybe the, the winger who would be more likely to go and create a spot for a, a full-time spot. And you see what, what happens when Bobby Ryan gets injured. Uh, it's Evgeny Svechnikov or uh, Giovanni Smith in his spot. Now, if, if no one trades for Bobby Ryan... I don't think you're taking Bobby Ryan out of the lineup. I mean, th- there's a real reason to having him in um, for the power play, for what he helps provide in terms of scoring depth. You know, I, I think you can make an argument that uh, someone like Svechnikov brings some of that too, but 
I still think Bobby Ryan's a better player than Evgeny Sveshnikov, and they might want to re-sign Bobby Ryan too. And if you're benching him for Evgeny Sveshnikov, uh, that becomes a lot harder to do. I also think you can probably make the conclusion that, you know, the way that they've handled Evgeny Sveshnikov tells you a little bit how much they want to prioritize um, getting him games already. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say. And then I think the other thing to really add to this is, you know, you have people clamoring for play the young guys in a sense. I mean, Sveshnikov's 24, Brome's 26. Um, They are what they are. You're not necessarily going to see these guys make leaps and bounds improvement. You know, you may see them make, you know, certainly marginal improvement as they come in, they get a full-time slot, but what you see is what you are getting. And so it's not like, to me, there's a little bit of a disconnect when it's like you want to play the young guys because you want to see something different. In that sense, what you're seeing is what you're going to get. And if Bobby Ryan's a better player than Matias Brome, which he is, and if Bobby Ryan's a better player than Evgeny Sveshnikov, uh, to me, there's not really a reason to just... bench Bobby Ryan to play Svechnikov knowing that what I'm kind of seeing with Svech is really about 80-85% of what I think he can be. So let me run through the lineup here and, and I'll I'll read you the lineup and you tell me which one you're you're benching for uh for Svechnikov or for Smith. And and I think toward the end you you'll, you'll get to a couple where I think there's a there's a good case, but uh let's start right off the top. Tyler Bertuzzi if he's healthy. No, you're not benching them. Anthony Mantha. Nope. Robbie Fabry. Nope. Philip Zadina. Nope. All right, we're through the top two lines right now. Bobby Ryan. Nope. Sam Gagne. Nope. Adam Ernie. Yeah, I think Ernie's probably the one, but again, you can't really argue with how well he's played this year. I mean, he's scoring. He's got as many goals as Philip Zadina does, right? Or That's more right. Than that. He does. Uh, and and then you've got, I think he's got more than Zadina. Yeah, he's got more. Uh, and then you've got Darren Helm. Yeah, and then I think Helm's maybe the natural one to pull out there. And I think if you're talking about Smith, it makes a lot of sense because what you've seen is... Uh, a fourth line of Glenn Denning, Helm, and Ernie that ha- that has been really effective uh, in terms of, of doing their job. Uh, I haven't looked at what that has looked like in the last four or five games, but not long ago, they were at like a 50% expected goals for percentage, which on the Red Wings is kind of shocking. Now, as individuals, they're not at that level because they haven't played together the whole season. There's been various absences that have shuffled the lineup around where they haven't played together. But when those three have been together, um, they've been really effective at doing their job. So if you move Glenn Denning then they're not all three going to be together. And then I think you can make a pretty good case that you're going to, um, you know, swap a Smith into um, Helm's spot, for example. And then it's it's him, Ernie, in some center. Um, maybe that's Joe Valeno if he comes back over. Maybe that's Chase Pearson. I don't know who it is, you know. Um, he's off to a pretty good start in Grand Rapids, and I would be remiss and probably kicked off the show if I didn't bring it up uh, by myself. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know what happens there, but I, I just think you look at this and if Tyler Bertuzzi is healthy, um, then it starts to be difficult to, to even find two spots for, for Smith and Sveshnikov, because again, Gagne and Ryan to me are better players than, um, uh, than Sveshnikov and, and Smith, I think has shown well, Sveshnikov has scored. Um, but you know, if, if Bertuzzi's out, maybe that helps Sveshnikov's case, I guess. Yeah. And I think the conversation, again, is different if, let's say, this is next season, and instead of Evgeny Svechnikov as a 24-year-old going to be 25, we're talking about Lucas Raymond, or we're talking about someone like that. Someone where there is a very clear you know, chance that this guy, if he is you know, playing in the lineup and allowed to figure out his mistakes, this guy's got 100% room to grow. Um, it's just Svechnikov is Svechnikov, and if he's not a better player than somebody else right now, I just, I don't see it um, is kind of where I'm at. So to me, you're, what you're looking at is Helmer Ernie is kind of the option. And you're not going to see that, um, I don't think, as long as those three are together as a checking line. Um, but I think, you know, I, I get where Phil's coming from. Like, if you're not going to re-sign Sam Gagne, then sure, go ahead and, and throw up a player in that you're going to think is going to be around a while. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I think there's... Uh, I, I don't think this is as simple as play the kids right now. Um, and I think that you, you want to be generating some some feeling of like, hey, this team took a real step forward going into the offseason psychologically so that guys don't feel like they are in the same exact spot they were a year earlier. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's completely fair because that's that's going to be that confidence builder that Bobby Ryan talked about when he signed here last season. It's These guys never got down on themselves. They continue to fight. They continue to play. And you know, maybe you can string together enough uh, success there to, to keep that momentum. 
And you're going to keep pitching free agents. You're going to keep saying, come here, let us rehabilitate or not re- rehabilitate. Let's let us reestablish you as like a top nine or a top four or whatever player, depending on what position they play. Uh, and, and you're going to play here. And, and and if you can't do that, if it's like, well, you're going to play 30 games until we cave and, um, you know, give a 25 year old your your spot instead. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of reestablishing... You know, players, uh, I think there was a very interesting waiver claim that went through, or I should say lack <laughs> of waiver claim, right? With the Philadelphia Flyers putting Shane Gustis Bear on on, uh, on waivers. I don't know, Max, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the argument to, to, to make the claim. Um, I ultimately thought, and I, I probably could have been more clear about this in my write-up, but I did put it in the comments. Someone pointed out that I did not give a yes or no. So scroll down in the comments and, and my answer is there. Um, I would not have claimed Shane Gossespierre. The Red Wings did not, and I did not expect them to. But I think there was an argument for it. I mean, this is a guy who, yes, it's been a couple years since he was the guy who basically made Gossespierre a real name in the NHL. Um, that was when he had 60-plus points, was a top-10 Norris finisher. You know, he, his production took a dip, and then last year it cratered. But it's been on the rise again this year. This is still a 27-year-old, and, you know, the cap number is high. That's basically why Philly is doing this. Or, or did this to, to create some flexibility and um, give themselves some room. But, you know, if you're the Red Wings, it's, it's it would have been a guy who, if you wanted to claim him and see if he can reestablish himself as kind of a 35 to 40 point guy um, playing on your top power play. And then eventually you wanted to either just keep him or you wanted to retain some salary and trade him at like a, you know, $2.5 million salary, which suddenly becomes very palatable. Yeah, there's an argument for that, but you're taking on the risk that if that doesn't happen, you're adding a $4.5 million cap hit to your sheet, which has otherwise pretty much only gotten more pristine under Steve Eiserman. Yeah, I think the it was certainly fun to watch the discourse happen because Shane Gostisbehere is a guy that doesn't really hit waivers all that often, and players like him don't really hit waivers all that often. You know, 60-point defensemen don't do that. Now, granted, Gosses Bear has not been nowhere near that in the last little bit and has kind of fallen out of favor in Philly to a certain extent. I mean, he's fallen behind Ivan Provorov and, and, and you know, all the other guys that they've got there. Um, but I think my my personal stance on it is I, I agree with you, Max. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't have claimed him, and, uh, and that's why no one did. Because when you pass these high-dollar guys on waivers – I think, number one, you're learning that that team uh, does not value the player's production at the price they're paying. And so you should not take that for free if you're a hockey team, unless you think the team has made a gross miscalculation in that player's production. There's no reason to take that player uh, because the team is telling you, I don't value this player's production at the price I'm currently paying. So make them pay their way out of it. If they want, and they to know do him that. better than you do, right? Like they have more information on this guy than anyone else, due to the way that it's set up. So your scouts might like him, but just know the team that has that knows the most about him is okay with losing him. And and that's that's the key here, right? Because that's why these guys don't get claimed. You see these people going, "Oh my god, how did this not get claimed?" Right. The team is straight up telling you, "I don't value him at his current production and current cap hit." So don't bail them out by taking them off of waivers. That's why Tyler Johnson didn't get claimed because he's not worth that contract. And Tampa knew that. And that's why they're trying to pass him to see if they could just get lucky and escape their, their cap hell that way. So now it kind of comes back to, okay, they have made it clear that they don't value Shane Gostas bear at his current price. And they are interested in finding a way to get out of his 
salary cap or contract. They're telling you that because they're telling you they're okay if they lose him for free. So I think now you ask yourself, is there a deal that I should make or should entertain with Philly that would include Gostas Bear as a part of it, but I play the deal in a manner to get assets, similar to what you did with Mark Stahl, where the Rangers wanted his $5.7 million out. Obviously, waiving him wasn't going to go anywhere, so you trade him, but the Rangers have to throw in a second-round pick. So, you know, Max, I'm curious, now that he has cleared waivers and you know Philly's intentions, is there a deal that you're interested in with Philly that would include Shane Gostas Bear? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think he's a better player than like a stall. Um, but there's real risk there because it's another year on the deal than there was when you made the deal for stall. I mean, like my guess is Philly's not going to want to throw something in to move him. Um, I don't know what their situation is like going forward, though. Um, let me look at their sheet. So they've got Lawton and Raffle coming up. That's going to clear $4 million, But I would think they would want to resign Scott Lawton, at least. Um, Gustafson's going to come off the books at $3 million. I would not think that they're going to resign him. Um, they've got Travis they've got, Sanheim as a restricted free agent. You're going to have to yes. figure out what you're going to do with Carter Hart. And you're going to have to figure out what you do with Nolan Patrick. Those are three RFAs they've got to deal with next season they've got all their picks except for their fifth rounder um i mean this is a guy that i would take if i was a a, a gm with cap space for a, a second or third round pick i think yeah i you know i i tried to burn down red wings twitter today by throwing out I a proposal that. here i mean i i was off of work you can't let me be home by myself off of work and have access to a computer i mean really that was just that that was not my fault that was someone else's fault but you know, I was trying to think through deals uh, here that would work. And so if you look at Philly and you just get an assessment of where Philly's at right now, they're fifth in their division. They're on track to not make the playoffs. This is in a division where this year they didn't have to play Carolina. Sure, you traded Carolina for Boston, but Boston's a team that's going to be dragging down. Carolina's a team that's going to be consistently good. They're fifth in their division right now. They have an aging core. Obviously, Travis Konechny is an outstanding player at 24, and he's going to be a future. Sean Couturier is still a great player at 28, but Claude Giroux is 33. Jacob Voracek's 31. You know, J- James Van Riemsdyk's 31. And you start going down the list of guys here, and you're saying, okay, this is a team that is still in very much win-now mode. This is a team that likely has three to four years to get what they can out of their their aging core as they mesh with the new core. In fact, this team reminds me a lot of the 2015 San Jose Sharks, where you had the Sharks with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe meshing with the young group, which at that time is is Logan Couture and you know the guys coming behind him. And that was the Sharks taking a run to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think you're going to see the Flyers try to compete in that same regard. And so how do they do that? Well, I think one of the areas where they could use some help is Kevin Hayes hasn't really, you know, played up to the level that uh, I I think uh, he can. And then I think the Flyers can, knowing that he's being paid 7.1 million. So do they take a flyer on another winger, pun intended there, uh, of an Anthony Mantha? And so I threw out a deal with Anthony Mantha going to to, uh, Philly, in exchange for Gostas Bear, the Flyers' 2022 first-round pick, which I think maybe the smarter move is to even make it 2023, and then just a third-round pick to throw in there. I added a second-round pick from Detroit's standpoint, being the Edmonton pick, which is effectively going to be a third-round pick this year just to make the whole contract value thing uh, work out. But I think there's something there where Philly might consider it. I don't know what you think, Max. I think Philly would run to it, but I don't think Detroit should consider it. I, I think it undersells on Mantha personally. Now, I know that um, Mantha's year has not gone uh, according to plan, and that, that probably does have to have some effect here on, on how you view trade value. But to me, if that is the case, he's not a guy I would want to sell low on personally if I was if I was making that call. I think it sort of depends on what do you think is selling low, because... For example, let's. Uh, I think a comp for Anthony Mantha right now is Thomas Tatar. I think Thomas Tatar scored similar to him. Thomas Tatar 
honestly had similar expected goals for percentages, similar advanced stats to Mantha, maybe even a little bit better than Mantha's, similar age to when Tatar was dealt. And Tatar fetched a, a first, second, and third from Vegas, um, which that first ended up being, you know, 30th overall. Um, and so, you know, if you're thinking about that, I think everyone at the time was a little bit shocked when Tatar got that much. I think people were expecting maybe a first and a third, uh, maybe a first and a second, but not a one, two, three. So I think if you're going to go from there and say Mantha's worth about the same as Tatar, but probably doesn't get that fortunate of a, of a deal, then I think getting a first that has the potential to fall into the lottery, like I just said, you know, Philly right now is fifth in their division with their current core. Um, they're all aging to a certain extent. Their defense is still in shambles and they don't have a goaltender. This is a team that could bottom out in the next two years. And we've talked a, a lot about how good the next two years are in the draft with, you know, 2022, uh, you know, having Brad Lambert, Shane Wright, uh, Matthew Savoie, 2023, you know, having Matvey Mishkoff, uh, you know, having Connor Bedard, um, you know, having Fantilli, Adam Fantilli in there. I mean, there's a heck of a crop in those groups. If you could give yourself two shots at it, I think it's a different value. And I think it comes back to draft pick valuation where I don't think enough people realize that the difference between third overall and 28th overall is greater than the top of the second round and like the sixth round. I mean, that's that's the importance there is it's a different first round pick. Yes, uh, I do get that. I mean, I, I would not make the Tatar deal for Mantha. Um, I mean, even if it was a one, two and three, um, I just think that, you know, at this point in the Red Wings rebuild, Mantha could still help them. Now, I might be wrong about that. Um, I might be wrong about how long this is going to take. And I might be r- wrong about, you know, Mantha's overall true talent level. That's totally possible. Um now, I do get, though, your point about trying to get that extra swing. And if Philly is headed for a Sharks situation, then, of course, you'd make that deal because, you know, San Jose made that deal for – or sorry, Ottawa made that deal for Eric Carlson, who was Eric Carlson, right? Um, one thing that that would keep me hesitant uh, of, of thinking that, that Philly is going to have that happen to them is that while I do think they're going to miss the playoffs this year, uh, which is one reason why I don't know that I see them buying, um, I also think that they're going to make it next year. And you look at, they're going to go back to a division that has a couple more teams who could fall off this cliff at any second in Washington and Pittsburgh. Yes, it has an absolute powerhouse in Carolina. It has uh, the impossible to predict and categorize New York Islanders, which is ironic because they seem to be the most consistent team uh, in the NHL sometimes, but they also are heading for some kind of age cliff. Columbus, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I don't think it's going to be good. You do have a couple teams potentially on the rise in the Rangers and the Devils. I don't know that I think either of them is immediately better than the Flyers next season. So while I agree that that the Flyers, uh, the age of the Flyers could lead them to be bad um, sooner than later, I still think they're making the playoffs next year. And at that point, I don't really want a, a pick in the late teens, early 20s, or even like mid 20s um, as the the prime piece that I'm getting back for for a bona fide top six uh, wing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think that's certainly the danger, and that's why maybe the 2023 first-round pick is the better move there. You get another year further out, and maybe Philly's more willing to part with that. But then you're adding so much you time are. to this rebuild. You, you like, very you really much are. are. You very much are. And so I think if you're making that deal, you are very much telling your fan base where you think this rebuild is and how much longer you have to go. I think in my mind, I'm not as confident in Philly because Washington is still the top of the NHL. Pittsburgh's two points behind them. I don't know about the Islanders, but they somehow continue to be there. You're going to put Carolina back in there, and that, to me, is four clear-cut teams that are better than them. Which means, at this point, if you go back to the way the divisions were, you take the, the top three in the Atlantic, you take the top three you know, in the Metro, and there's already your top six seeds there, and then I already said there's another team that's better than Philly for seven. They are basically playing for eight. And so now of all the remaining teams, I am saying Philly has to be the best of those remaining teams. They could be, but you never know about the Rangers with all those young guys getting better the next year forward. Uh, you know, I think you can eliminate Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa from being competitive there. But if you're looking at, you know, 
the the Atlantic side of things, talking about Boston, Tampa, and Florida, I think those are three really good hockey teams. And then after that, I mean, does Columbus have enough to, to do it? I don't know. To me, I don't know that Philly is clear-cut better to say they're going to be the eight seed. And even if they're the eight seed, right, you're still talking about mid-teens for, for the pick. So I, I still don't think it's a bad gamble on Philly. Now, that being said, there may be other teams worth picking on. Boston's a team worth picking on. I don't know how Boston continues to win, but eventually, you know, Bergeron's going to be 36. I think Krejci's getting up there. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Rask is obviously getting older. They already lost Chara. It certainly depends. I mean, their defense rests on McAvoy. Um, you know, there may be a team that can fall off the cliff too. Maybe you make a deal there. But uh, to me, Philly just, it seems like it's going to be eight seed or bust next year. I don't know. It's its not about Philly as much as just, it's its about, I mean, it is about Philly because it's about, you know, the the, the idea of a, of a, you know, later pick in a round. It's, to me, it's just like, I, I if I were trading Mantha, I wouldn't want to do it for a nebulous pick unless I know like this is what I'm getting. You know, like you, maybe you do it, um, you know, for a specific prospect, or maybe you kind of on draft day trade up for a guy like, hey, this guy's here at number 18, and I had him in the you know top 12 or something. Go get him. Um, I guess that's that's its own thing. Um, I just would tread very carefully with a player like Mantha. I think th- I think you're right now. You're looking at a value that is lower than it was uh, this past summer, but I don't think that guy is gone. I mean, he, he's 26 still. He will be 27 at the start of next season. Uh, and so you're you're approaching that kind of 30 range where, where the cliff gets scary. And I recognize that if you think you're going to have to trade him at some point, you want to do it well before that cliff so that some team doesn't, doesn't get uh, antsy. But he's just a player who I think can still help them a ton right now and still help them in the future potentially. And I wouldn't do it lightly. I wouldn't do it for something I wasn't really sure what I was getting. To me, that's one of the one of the reasons that you always see kind of picks for rentals is because it's okay to just get a dart for a guy that you're going to see walk away in in a month anyway. Um, I, I don't know that I would have that same attitude about a 26 year old uh, winger with three years of term. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look, no one's a bigger fan of Anthony Mantha than I am. I mean, I think I've said that I still think he's the best player on this hockey team, um, even at 26. I. I will continue to battle for him in that regard. But I think there's a couple things you have to think about with making this deal. Number one, the more certain you are where that pick is, the more it's going to cost. And so, you know, the more you know about where that's going to be, the the more it costs if it's going to be a high pick. That's no why you often see teams not deal future picks because they, they don't want to do that because otherwise you end up like Ottawa, um, you know, dealing away a pick in the Matt Duchesne deal. And then you end up like San Jose dealing away a pick in, in the Eric Carlson deal. So, you know, the future pick can be a, a, a scary proposition, but that's why I think this is kind of a maximum chaos kind of trade. This isn't a, this isn't a trade you make knowing you're going to win this hockey trade. This is a, I am rooting for maximum chaos kind of deal because if I make this move and I trade away arguably my best player who has three years of term at a good price moving forward for a pick, then I you have to have some confidence that it falls in, in the kind of 10 to 20 range, which I think Philly will. But I, I do that because the upside of having two shots at a top three pick in 22 or 23, to me, outweighs you know getting a subpar... I think return for Anthony Mantha, but this is absolutely not a deal where it's not a Robbie Fabby for Jacob De La Rose, where you know you won the deal on day one. This is a, this is going to be a kind of hold your butts kind of deal because this could be maximum chaos. This is where everybody learns that Prashant has a little more risk appetite than uh, than I do. I mean, I, this is the kind of deal that Steve Eiserman has made, right? Yeah, no, you is, deal Jonathan Drouin no for Mikhail Sergachev. Sergachev hadn't played an NHL game at that point, right? Or was he a rookie? You know, so that's a huge move. Jonathan Drouin had been three years in the league at that point, and and you're making that kind of deal. You trade Martin St. Louis away. That's a big kind of deal. You buy out Vincent LeCavier. That's a big deal. Those are big moves. And so I, I think he's got it in him to to say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. So so I, I believe in it. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Fair enough. Uh, moving on in the mailbag, um, at Valeno asks, is there any scenario where Cider is not a full-time Red Wing at the beginning of next season? I can't see one, but, uh, I'm certain there probably is one. I, I guess it's injury. I mean, I, I yeah. can't see one. He was one of the best players in the SHL. He probably should have been already in the NHL by the end of last season. Had it not been cut short. I don't see one unless it's injury. Yeah, I think the only reason he's not in the NHL right now is there was uncertainty about the NHL season really even getting underway, and so they sent yeah, him to Sweden. Hundred percent, and, and I think it. that was the right call. Yeah, I mean they they got him playing months earlier than he would have otherwise. Yeah, but otherwise he'd have been in the NHL full time this year. So I, I, I just can't imagine he's not next year. All right, here's a good one that that goes with the division conversation we just had. If you could pick exclusively for a better chance at making the playoffs consistently. Would the Red Wings be better off in the Atlantic or the Central? That I mean, that's tough. Um, you know, to me, I this think... This from Jake LaHoot. Yeah, to, to me, I think there's more teams on the rise in the Metro as it is. You know, if you think about the Rangers, you think about the Devils, they're starting to turn it around. You never know when Washington's going to bottom out. You never know when Pittsburgh's going to bottom out. You don't know what the Islanders are doing, but they keep, they keep doing it. And then obviously Carolina's as good as they are. Uh, that's a dogfight for me. And I I, I don't want to be a part of it. Whereas if you're in the Atlantic, you know, Tampa's there. Toronto. Toronto is there, right? So those are, uh, you know, I think for me, probably your top two teams in the Atlantic. Florida, I have no idea where they came from. And I don't know if they're going to stay. They're like in the Islanders right. tier. They're in the, but they haven't been doing it as long as the Islanders. So I have less yeah, confidence in them, in them continuing to do it. And then, But Boston, they have the stars. The Islanders don't. They've got Ekblad and Barkov. They, uh, Matt Barzell is going to have a word with you at some point. All you right, know, if you forgot fair, he was a center and now you forgot he's a star. Well, uh, I really like Ryan Pollock too. I should, uh, all right. I, I should send him a little uh, edible arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think what it comes down to is Boston's eventually going to fall off a cliff. They are not well positioned. They have not drafted well. Their stars are getting old. They're going to fall off. Tampa's going to be there. Toronto's going to be there. But I think getting to be in a division with Ottawa, who hasn't seemed to figure it out, getting to be in a division, uh, you know, with some, you know, some of those other bottom feeding. I still teams. think Montreal's a fraud. Montreal's a fraud too. Montreal's absolutely a fraud. So I'd rather be in that Atlantic division. Uh, I think no doubt because I think to me there's too many scary teams in the Metro. Right to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think the answer is the Atlantic. To go far, I would rather be in the Metropolitan. Oh, wait. So he said Central. That's my bad. They're not going to be in the Central, though. That's not a conversation. No one's moving them back out west. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a different conversation than the one you wanted, Jake. How about that? Yeah. And, and you know, I think that to underscore all of this, I just said I wasn't even sure Philly was going to make it as an eight seed next year. Right. And that's because I forgot the Leafs, right? right? So now if you put Tampa, Toronto, 
Florida and and Boston as the top four in the Atlantic, there's a chance Philly doesn't even make it if they're the fifth best team in their division, right? Like Philly's now nine. That's a lottery. I mean, I had my hesitation is I had Philly to win that division, I think, coming into the year. And I think I had Washington to advance out of it in the playoffs. But I think in the regular season, I had Philly to to win. I think I had Philly in the final four at the start of the bubble last. So like, I don't want to overcompensate on Philly when like, it's totally possible Carter Hart rebounds and is a top five goalie next year. And then everything looks fine. Like that's possible. I, I know you don't think it's likely, but it's possible. I mean, it's certainly possible, but let me, let me just lay this out here for you. The Flyers somehow inexplicably are two points ahead of the Rangers, despite having 30, having a 35 goal worse goal differential. I don't know how that's possible. The Flyers have a minus 17 goal differential. That's only six better than New Jersey. And, and, and the, the Rangers are plus 18 there. Which team's going up next year? Like, yeah. I, I just don't no, see it. No, that's true. I, yeah, and the Rangers are going to add, they're going to add like a Nils Lundqvist or something like that to their fold. And yeah, and I mean, Shisterkin you know, K- will be that much better. Keandre's going to be that much better. Lafreniere's going to yeah. be better. Kako's going to be better. You still have Panarin. You still have Zibanejad. Yeah. Uh, All right. That's a good hockey you win. team. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jared Brown, according to Cap Friendly, Friendly, Svechnikov must play 18 more games to meet the exposure requirement. Do you think he will play the 18 games necessary to be exposed? I just want to clarify, just I don't know how Jared means the question. He is eligible to be picked no matter what. Like he's already exposed, but there's also a minimum number of players that you must expose who meet two particular criteria. Being under contract next year and there's a games played threshold. I think it's 54 over the last two seasons or 27 this season, according to Cap Friendly. So 18 more games for Freshnikov to hit that. I don't think so, but it's possible. It'll probably come close. Um, but he can be picked either way. I I guess if the Red Wings wanted to protect Nemestikov um, over him or something like that, then Sveshnikov could be the guy that they re-sign to do that. But it's also possible that, you know, he hits that threshold and then they don't tender him or they trade him or something. So he's exposed no matter what, but he might not meet the minimum exposure requirement um, in terms of counting as one of those two players. I think that's I think that somewhere in there should be the answer to Jared's question. I'm not sure specifically which one it was. Yeah, I mean, I I guess the the importance is it doesn't really matter in my mind because I I mean they may choose to protect him or they may choose to protect protect Nemestikov, but that's going to be kind of irrelevant there. But for those that are interested in it, I mean, the Wings only have 19 games left, so that means he has to play 18 of the final 19 games, which I would put the margins at slim to none for that. Um, but it, it, it's not going to matter. Yeah. I mean, Svechnikov, to be clear, like, I feel like I, I don't want to seem like we're like down on Svechnikov or anything like that. Like, it's just, it, it tells you something with the way the Red Wings have handled him. You know, it doesn't mean anything bad about him as, um, as, as a person or his competitiveness. I mean, I, I really think Svechnikov, um, s- certainly seems like he wants this really bad. He's clearly produced a little bit, but, but there is something to the fact that the Red Wings have not gone out of their way to, especially with the way he produced early to get him in the lineup that I think just tells you how they feel overall about, you know, his future. Like I I just, I can't ignore that as we talk about the implications here. And you could say that's right or wrong. I think that's totally fine. Um, But, you know, especially when we talked earlier about like Gagne, I'm sure that's going to be one that people um, are mad at, uh, at us on Twitter for, but like, you know, you go look at Gagne's contributions this year and, and they've been pretty good, like both in terms of the actual box score numbers and in terms of the underlyings, like at some point there's a reason that these guys and Gagne is not old have put together the kind of careers that they have in the NHL. And I don't think you can just, you know, hand wave that away just because a former first round pick and comes up and he puts up, you know, a handful of points in his first nine or 10 games. Again, not insignificant. It's great that, that Svechnikov has done that. And personally, I really hope that he has an NHL career, whether it's in Detroit or somewhere else. Um, but I, I just don't think you can ignore it when you're projecting what the future is going to look like and when you're making decisions to that end. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's that's the right way to say it because regardless of how you or I feel, or how anyone feels, what we're simply talking about is how the team has approached their handling of Evgeny Svechnikov. Like, you know, you can dis- disagree with the way that they've done it, but the way that they're doing it is telling you something about how they view his future, at least as of now. Um, I think, you know, I've been vocal about this, that I disagreed strongly, at least with how he was handled several years ago. 
Um, I thought after his 50 points in 70 games and with Grand Rapids in his first AHL season, I thought he should have been up as a full timer. And then, you know, he's obviously had some some uh, bad luck with significant injuries that have really wiped out a large part of his, you know, best development years. Um, but, you know, right or wrong in terms of how the wings are doing it, the way they're doing it is telling you something. Yeah. All right. Um, this one will be a little more look ahead. Lassie Anderson, who are some good candidates for the Red Wings to pick up at the next free agency period? He says, is it a reclamation project like Galchenyuk or more stable players? I'll let you uh, handle this in a minute, but I, I would just say Galchenyuk seems to fit into this conversation that we were having a minute ago about, you know, take the information that Galchenyuk has not stuck anywhere in a really long time and let that tell you something, you know, that that's relevant information. I, to me, the, with the way the Red Wings have operated in free agency, I guess you could take a chance on him. Um, but this free agency period isn't too bad. And I think you, especially with the flat cap, you can try to do more like what you did last year and and find those little um, those little finds like they had in Stetcher, in Merrill, in Domestnikov, in Ryan. And what I think in hindsight, outside of Thomas Grice, looks like a really successful free agency period for the Red Wings, um, both in terms of the caliber of play they've gotten and in terms of the value they've gotten. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, there's definitely some reclamation projects out there. Like, if you just take a look at the 2021 free agent list, there's a Dano Chara, there's Joe Thornton. There, no, I'm, that's the wrong age. Sorry, I'll say the other <laughs> way. I mean, it's it's really tough to say because it's it's going to depend on the trajectory that they want to go. I mean, Scott Lawton was a guy you threw out, Max, that I think would be a reasonable kind of bottom six guy if they're going to recycle somebody in. Um, I think he's an interesting guy, 27 years of age, to 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 come around. You know, Adam Lowry's a guy in in Winnipeg who I think is he's he's 28, um, has kind of played in their bottom six, but I think has the potential to to do more than that. He's right now about half a point per game in in Winnipeg. So, you know, do I you think, see any Rasmussen in him, real quick? Yeah, like, I mean, I think I think you can. I mean, I I think that's the kind of game, that's the comp really that I think you could make um, in terms of upside. I I don't think that's a bad comp at all. Just a, just a curiosity I've had when I've watched him in the past. Uh, what about Iafalo? He he's one that's on the free. I'm sure there's going to be a market for him, and so maybe. Maybe that's not the the waters Eisman wants to swim in, but he's having a productive year. Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on on kind of what the market looks like for him. But I mean, I follows a guy that that probably falls into the the list of guys you look at. Philip Deneau in Montreal seems to have fallen out of favor a little bit, and maybe he's a a guy that you can you can um, do you know land on a reasonable deal. I think Tobias Reeder in Buffalo, all of his numbers are going to look bad, so you can probably get him cheap. Uh, so I, I think there's enough guys out there uh, that would be interesting to bring in and to play in the bottom six for sure. Is Tampa going to be able to afford to extend Blake Coleman? He seems like, I mean, obviously Tampa trade for him after Eiserman left, but he seems like kind of an Eiserman kind of player. Oh yeah, he's totally an Eiserman kind of player. He'd be a heck of a player to get, particularly if uh, you can get him on a similar deal to what he's on right now, which was $1.8 million as his AAV. I suspect you're going to have to come in a little bit more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can come in with him under two point seven five million on like a two year deal, Blake Coleman's twenty nine. I mean, that's a that's a strong move uh, and a strong addition for the Red Wings. Maybe Tampa finds a way to move some money out and, and get him re-signed. I don't know, but you know, it seems like they've been able to pull off some uh, some magic in the last couple of years in terms of their cap and in terms of uh, in terms of free agency. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. They they. To me, I don't know what they do. It just seems like someone blindly like closes their eyes, waves their hand, and then all of a sudden Tampa has cap space. And I don't, I don't know what happens. But Yeah. Uh, Cody Stark asked, explain the Stetcher explanation from Jeff Blaschel. Like, I'm a five-year-old. I think we kind of did that on the last show. But basically, they wanted to go from 70 to 60. Uh, Stetcher did not play the same special teams load as other guys. And so they figure if you're going to have – only 60 and you're, you're cutting one out, cut the one out who it's going to like least affect your special teams flow. And as you pointed out on the last show, it had been a rocky road from Stetcher since he returned from injury that the underlying numbers were, were really tough for him that Blashell didn't say that, but I think that kind of accompanies what he said. Yeah. I mean, he, he's the simple explanation, the, the explain it like him five is he has been bad. We'll end on this one because we got a couple goalie questions. One was uh, Lars once again asking about Jesper Wallstedt, uh, which I won't force upon you right now. Um, but Mike Lennox says, with more data on Spencer Knight, 
what do you place his draft value at right now? And the reason I like this question is because it takes something that we all know about you, which is that you're kind of a, you're not kind of, you are opposed to, to, to overdrafting goalies or even drafting goalies high. Um, but Spencer Knight is a guy who is now two years out. We have more data on him than you almost ever get uh, on, a, on a goalie in the draft. Um, and it's gone really well for him. He signed Wednesday with the Panthers to his ELC. Where would you, if, if, if let's say Spencer Knight, for whatever reason, is in this draft and, and you have, you know, he's eight, still age 20. You still seen two seasons of college from all that stuff. Where would you draft Spencer Knight right now? I think in this draft, given number one, you don't have a lot of strong talent already in here. I think you have to look at him as a top five pick, given that I got to see two more years of development. Um, but that being said, you know, that you should still have some pause here because, again, some of these guys that have great track records as juniors, great track records through the NCAA, don't necessarily pan out uh, at the next level. Now, uh, I think he's a guy that certainly seems to be succeeding at every level. And so you should that should continue to give you more and more confidence about him uh, moving forward. And that's why I would more confidently take him knowing two years of extra stuff than I would Jesper Wallstedt, knowing less stuff. But uh, I would still have certain pause because, again, I, I think I would trust my scouts' assessment of the forwards off of just pre-draft information, even more so compared to uh, allowing them to watch two more years of night and making that determination. there. So I would still have at least four or five guys ahead of Spencer Knight, but he would probably land in that top five or six. So let's say the Red Wings are picking seventh in this draft, which looks like a distinct possibility because you have to take into account Seattle coming in and they're going to have um, the third best odds no matter what. Right now, as it stands, I think the Red Wings odds would be fourth best, but it's like really marginal with them in Ottawa. And I'm not ready to, to say New Jersey or San Jose for that matter. Maybe even Vancouver are home free. Um, let's say the Red Wings are picking seventh. You'd trade the seventh pick for Spencer Knight potentially, or you'd be open to the idea. Yeah, I think I'd be open to the idea. Particular now, it's it sort of depends um, who's left who's there at there. seven. Yeah, um, that's not a deal I'm making before the draft. That's a deal I, I would make at the draft on my pick. Um, and probably what I'd be considering is before Spencer Knight, I might even be seeing if I can trade down a few spots to find a way to get two first round picks. Um, if that were possible, but if that wasn't a, a, available, then yeah, I would absolutely consider adding a 20 year old Spencer Knight uh, for the seventh pick. Doesn't matter. Florida's not trading him. That's kind of, yeah, the, they're the going to sign him if they have, I don't, I think everyone's talking about he's going to sign the next day or two. So he's, I, I thought he signed. Did, did he sure officially sign? I saw LeBron say he was going to sign either today or tomorrow. And then I didn't see anything after that. I'm pretty sure he signed. Yeah. All right. Well, there um, you go. Every week one comes in like 10 minutes after we hang up. Brandon Gunn got this one in after I had said that was going to be the last question. But before we hung up, I kind of like it, though, so I'm going to ask it to you. With the deadline expected to be quiet, what would you both consider a successful trade deadline this year, given what we know about that it may be a slower one? Um, I think an A-plus trade deadline is getting a 2022 or a 2023 first-round pick uh, from a team that you think could end up in the lottery, like Philly, Boston, some of the other ones we've talked about. I think that's an A-plus deadline. Um, but I think otherwise, a passable deadline is moving at least two guys out, whether it's Bobby Ryan, Mark Stahl, Luke Lindenning, and bringing in equal value in a draft pick. So whether that's adding a couple more seconds and thirds, a couple more thirds and fourths, um, I think that's probably what I'm expecting, and that would be a passable trade deadline. Yeah, I think it's just get some picks. Like, I don't even have like specific standards for you. Like, I don't know what the, what the market price is going to be. I I just would say the successful trade deadline is not getting left on the, on the dance floor alone with no partner. Um, you know, if you can get two extra picks between rounds two and five, I think you've had a, a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice April. Yeah. And, you know, you do that. Now you're looking at four second round picks if you get a second. You, so the wings would be in position to, to do some dealing. Yeah. And you can move up on draft day. I mean, I, I really think this draft should be so fun for that because not only is, is it going to be potential for guys to um, be under scouted and, and just slip organically to you somewhere, but there's a real potential that teams lists are more different this year than ever before because of where people are located and where their strengths are and 
maybe you've got someone who's like 13th on your list and he falls to 20 or something, or, or even like 10th on your list and he falls to 20 and you're sitting there with like pick 35, pick 55, pick 50, whatever. Um, and you can trade two seconds to get up, you know, 14 picks um, and get a guy who you had in the top 10. Like to me, I'm all over that if, if that becomes possible. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you, I think sometimes we underestimate how large some of these NHL scouting staffs are. They're really like, 10 to 15 people and their position kind of all around the world. But it's kind of hilarious. Like Buffalo doesn't have a WHL scout. We're talking about Dylan Gunther potentially being the first overall pick. They don't have a scout. Buffalo is going to have the first overall pick uh, or at least have the best odds for it. So it's just, it's fascinating to see how different everything's going to be based on where these guys are situated. They'll have seen Dylan Gunther. I mean, they'll have seen him, right? You'll watch yeah. his tape and such, but like they don't have a dedicated WHL scout to put to frame that for you. I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, it should be a very interesting uh, draft for sure. All right. I uh, said we were going to go short today. We did not. So a uh, little, little free bonus. Uh, I guess we can we can thank that to your uh, Gostas Bear trade proposal. That, that really filled some time for us today. Yeah, filled my time during the uh, day as well. <laughs> and filled your mentions i'm sure all right uh we'll be back at you guys on monday one week from the trade deadline um if you guys want if you want to send me rather than like kind of mailbag stuff whether via dms or via my mentions or via email at mboltman at theathletic.com if you want like some topics for us to cover that, that you want us to spend 15 20 minutes on rather than just you know three to five minutes in the mailbag section feel free to do that anytime we've gotten some really good segments that way in the past from you guys uh who are a great group of listeners who have some really fun ideas that I would love to, uh, to dive into to topics with more prep time rather than just reading them on the fly, you know, 10 seconds before I'm going to answer them. So if you've got topics that you want us to cover, feel free to send them to me. Uh, feel free to send them to Prashanth. Is that okay? Yeah. Hit me up on yeah, Twitter. And, and, and we'll find a, some time for some of them in, in the coming weeks here. I'm sure uh, after the trade deadline, there, there could be uh, plenty of time <laughs> that, that needs to be filled. So we'll talk to you then. See you.